And I, I don't know about you, but I want to agree with them for that. Amen. Amen. So let's pray and just pray uh, the word over Ryan. Father, we thank you that we have the word and we have the fulfillment of your word in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our satisfaction, the one who came to give us life, the one who came to redeem us. Lord, I thank you tonight that Ryan is healed in Jesus name, that the life that Christ brought is in him because he is in Christ. I thank you that he is healed in Jesus' name, that whatever thing is bound up in his body, it has to be unbound right now in Jesus' name. It has to be loose and things have to move as they're supposed to move. Things have to flow as they're supposed to flow. I thank you that his body will work as it was designed to work because you, God, the creator, the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, you know his inward parts. You know every part about him. You know how he's supposed to function. And when you sent Jesus, your son, to be our life and our redemption, I believe believe and I know what you said in the word is that he has life in his body now and that life that fulfillment that abundance of life isn't isn't just a word it's not just a thought it is a reality it is a manifestation of God's power working in Ryan's body to heal him and and make things work as they were designed to work redeeming him from the curse of the world from the death of the world I thank you that he is alive in Jesus name I believe it by the power of your Holy Spirit his mortal body is healed and full of life. In the name of Jesus, we believe it and we thank you for it, Lord. And I just pray that you are glorified, glorified as, as his testimony of healing comes, as, as we see him walking and well. I thank you that that is a testimony to your faithfulness, to your power, to your goodness, and to the truth of your word, Lord. We believe it and we trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about Jacob stealing the blessing from his brother Esau. You know, last week we started out talking about Isaac. He had left his father Abraham at this point. Um, we, we've talked about how he's, he's now passed. Sarah has passed. Abraham got remarried. He married a woman, had more kids. And we talked about all that last week. And so now we're transitioning on. Um, to Jacob's life, and we're going to look at some of the events that occurred in his life throughout Genesis. Um, last week we saw him and his twin brother Esau born to Isaac's wife, uh, Rebecca. And so that, that was the start of this last week's lesson. And then from there we looked at how Esau despised his birthright. He regarded it cheaply, sold it for a bowl of soup, talked about some of the things that that entailed and what it meant. And this week we're going to see kind of the next progression, and it's going to be more of a focus on Jacob than it is on Esau. And we're going to see Jacob's part in, um, in kind of manipulating and, well, like the lesson says, stealing the blessing. And so tonight one of the things we're going to talk quite a bit about is, um, is sin and the consequence of sin and some of the, the things that go along with sin. And so before we dive into this lesson where we talk about sin for, you know, 45 minutes in, in some various aspects of it, I first just want to remind us all and encourage us all in forgiveness. Because I know this as New Testament believers who have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been forgiven. I want to look at Ephesians 1 verse 7. This isn't in the notes. It's not in the curriculum. But this is just me preaching. This is me wanting to encourage you and build you up and stir your faith. And stir the fact that you are forgiven in Jesus' name before we get on to talking about sin. Because I don't know about you, but I'm free of condemnation. You know, as we study this in the Old Testament, as we study Jacob and his sin, Esau and his sin, Isaac and his sin, Rebecca and his sin. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a lot of sin going on in Genesis, okay? As before we dive into that, I just want you to be free and clear of any kind of condemnation. Because if you've received Christ as your Lord, you're free of it. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 
I got to keep reading into verse 8, which he made to abound toward us all in wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. It's his will for you to be forgiven. It's his will for you to be redeemed. It's his will for you to be made right. It's his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And so I know this tonight, before we dive in and talk about sin and the ramifications and some of the things that happen when sin is present, I first want you to know you've been redeemed of it. You've been forgiven of it. And so if, if while we're talking about this tonight, there's anything, and, and I'll tell you, even for me, like I read through this lesson, I studied this and put this together and I thought, well, gee, I've done things like that before. You know, I've lied before. I've manipulated before. I've done things I shouldn't have done before. And you know what? I don't feel any condemnation standing here before you tonight because I know that it's not about me making myself better, but it's about Christ forgiving me and redeeming me in his blood. So, amen. Let's get into it tonight. Lesson focus. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. And that's going to be one of the things we talk about. Isaac's sin, his rebellion to God's plan, wanting to bless his son Esau, who he favored over Jacob. But Jacob and Rebekah deceived him into blessing Jacob instead. God's will was accomplished in spite of the sinful methods used by Jacob and Rebekah. The consequences of their deception led to Esau wanting to kill Jacob and Jacob fleeing to Rebekah's brother for safety. So this encapsulates what we're going to study tonight. If you need a lesson summary and you just want a quick little punchline of what happens in Genesis 27, that's your statement. But we're going to go a little deeper than that tonight. And I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 26, verses 1 through 5. And then we're also going to read verses 34 through 35. We're going to be reading about a whole chapter in Genesis tonight. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Word. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible so that you can make notes or, you know, circle, underline, that kind of thing as we go along. Um, if you've got the scripture sheet, most of the supplemental scriptures will be there. But these big chapters, um, Genesis 26 and 27, uh, those will either have to read on the screen or turn in your Bible to. I just didn't have enough room to put it all on that, on that sheet we pass out. So let's look at the word tonight and read uh, Genesis 26, 1 through 5, and then verses 34 and 35. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, do you remember back when we were studying Abraham, there was a famine. And because of that reason, he left the promised land of, of Canaan and he went out to Egypt. Remember talking about that? And then he did some stuff he wasn't supposed to do. He lied to Pharaoh about who Sarah was. He got in trouble. Um, he said, she's my sister. And then Pharaoh was going to make her a wife. And it was this whole deal. And then they got kicked out. Okay, so we saw Abraham go to Egypt due to a famine. And we see it come up again here in Genesis 26, another famine, not the same one. It's not referring to that. It's a different famine now. And this is in the time of Isaac. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Hey, I recognize the Philistines. They come up later. That's a people that Israel ends up having some contention with when it's time for them to come in possession of the land of Israel. And so they, he goes to a different place. We're going to look at a map here in a second about that, but let's finish reading these. And the Lord appeared to him. So he's about to leave this land. He needs to go somewhere new. And God shows up to direct him where he's supposed to go. I'm going to preach more about that in a minute. But I'll tell you this, just a short statement. God will direct your steps if you will trust him and listen to his word. Amen. So the Lord appears and says to him, do not go down to Egypt. And I love that this, this shows the difference. You know, we saw another famine where Abraham went to Egypt. 
And now Isaac is getting instruction. Don't do what your father did. Don't make the same mistake that your father made. I'm going to take you somewhere else. I'm leading you to a new land because I've got this plan for you that I want you to follow after. And it's not necessarily the same thing that I had your father do. So he says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go back to what you have heard of and what your family knows. Go to this place that I'm going to lead you. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Verse 3, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. I will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This all sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Because when we studied Abraham through Genesis 12 all the way up till now, God has reaffirmed these same promises over and over. He keeps talking about, I'm going to bless you with this land. I'm going to bless you as a people so that you can go out and bless others. I'm, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to bless your offspring. I'm going to give you offspring more numerous than the stars in the sand. It's a repeated promise over and over, and he reaffirms it here to Isaac once again. I'm going to do this thing that I said I would do. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so I want to start by just breaking um, a couple of these things down, and then we'll go on to verse 34 and 35. The first one is we see just this general progression in the, in the storyline, in the history. So we talked about all the places Abraham went, all the things that God had him do, and then we see it come to Isaac, and now Isaac is making this journey to the places God would take him. A famine is pushing him out of the place where he was, and that is... Is, uh, Bir Laharoi. Bir Laharoi. And if you look on, on the screen here, it's kind of right there in the middle. I've got this little dot. Look straight up from where that's at. Right there in the middle, Bir Laharoi. It's that really long name right above the river, right on that red line. Bir Laharoi is where he's at. Now, something we'll notice, I just thought this was interesting. Gerar, where he would go, is straight down from there, not Gaza, but right next to it. And something I noted is that God's plan for Isaac actually took him further into the promised land rather than redirecting him away to Egypt, which I think, I think that's kind of cool that God, when he's calling Isaac to take this step to go um, to this place that he's going to show him and this place that he's going to reaffirm the promise, he takes him to what would be the land of Israel. He brings him up into the promised land out and away from the land of Egypt. Now, I'm not saying that that was the last time Egypt was a factor. We know that um, Joseph would end up in Egypt and Jacob actually would end up going to Egypt at a later time in his life. I'm sure we'll talk about that through this unit. But I just think this is interesting that as God is reaffirming his promise, he is bringing Isaac into the place of promise. He's bringing Isaac into this place where, where God has affirmed this is the land for your people to his father. And so he gives him instruction. We could say this, God gave Isaac his word. He, he tells him, he speaks to him, just like how he's spoken to us. He's given us his word. He's given us his instruction. He's given us steps, amen? And so just like we get steps from God, well, Isaac was getting steps from the Lord too in the form of God's word. So God speaks and he gives him a step. You know, I noticed something else about this encounter that I just think is applicable and it ministers to me. Um, Isaac didn't get the whole game plan all at once. Do you see that? God says, go to this place that I'm going to show you. In fact, I'll, I'll turn back to the scripture. It says right here, dwell in the land which I shall tell you. He didn't even tell him right then and there. He just says, I'm going to tell you when we're there. So just start moving, take your step, and when you get where you're supposed to go, I'll let you know. God doesn't give us the entire roadmap of everywhere we're going to go in life all at once. He gives us a step. And when we're faithful to take one step, I know he'll give us another one, just like he did with these, these faithful men in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. 
So we don't have to get the whole plan to step. We just need our next step. And I believe that in his word, God will always give us the next step that we need. One other thing about the timeline of this, something I want us to note is we're kind of picturing where this is all happening um, in history. This is written right after. So it's, it's the very next bit of scripture after Esau sells Jacob his birthright. And so it's possible that this, this famine and the travel happened directly after Esau had sold his birthright, or it's possible that it could have been some time in between. But either way, um, one of the things we noted when we read last week in chapter 25 is that I, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau were men when Esau sold Jacob his birthright. That's what it said in chapter 25. It talked about how Esau was a man of the field, but Jacob was a man of the tents. He was kind of the guy who liked to stay home and cook and hang out with his mom, and Esau liked to go and kill stuff and bring the food back to his dad. And so we see this difference, and they're both identified as men. You know, they're grown, they're matured, and I'm not saying that, you know, they were like in their 70s, but they were they were grown. They weren't just like little teenage boys or little children making some mistakes. I mean, they both had the wherewithal to know better than what they were doing at the time. And so I just want to note that, that when Esau sold Jacob his birthright, they were men. And now when they're traveling and what we're about to see unfold was happening as they were, they were men. And so um, they go to Gerar. And I, I mentioned that was actually God bringing Isaac and his family further into the promised land. And so he reaffirms the promise there. He talks about the generations. He talks about the land that he'll bless Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob's family lineage with. Um, one of the statements that's made that I just wanted to dive into for a second here is, is it says... Um, your offspring and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And you know, one of the things we focus on here is apologetics. We talk about having a, a full understanding of scripture and applying the word. And one of the things I just, I thought was interesting about this, it says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. One of the things, and I'm not going to go deep on this tonight because we could, I could preach a whole other message about this another time, but you know, there are different points in the Word where God gave law and commands and instructions, and some of those were for specific groups of people. You know, not every, not every time God says you should do this in the Word doesn't mean that you should do that today. You know, when, when He talks about Joshua going and marching around Jericho to knock the walls down, I'm not supposed to do that today. I, I wouldn't even know how to get there to begin with. I'd have to look it up on Google and like find a... I'm just telling you, it, it, we have to take it in context, don't we? And so, you know, I'm just identifying this because I know that there are people who would say, okay, well, this is proof that you should go back to the Mosaic Law, the 613 commandments that are listed in Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you should follow all of those because it was following the law that got Abraham the promise of God. One of the things I want to point out to you tonight is this is 400 years before Moses ever got the law right. from God. This was before the you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was written or given to the Hebrew people. This was 400 years before that. Those laws hadn't even been identified. I believe the law that's being talked about here, the o obedience to God's charge, His commandments, the statutes, and His laws, those were the things that were spoken from Adam to this time in history. I mean, how, how do you obey rules you've never heard before? That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be just, would it? For God to say, hey, I expect you to know what I'm going to do in 400 years and live your life according to that and put yourself in that context. That would be so messed up and unjust and wrong. 
And God doesn't do that. What he's talking about is, is the things that he would have told Adam. Um, he would have been talking about things like with Noah. Here's a, three examples of like laws that or commands or statutes from God that would have been in place in this time. Um, one would have been to populate the earth. I mean, we get that right from the very beginning. Isn't it right from the start in the Garden of Eden? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And so that was a command that he would have been, you know, attempting to be obedient with. Um, and that could translate to just being obedient to God in general. That was one of the things we saw with the Tower of Babel. Their disobedience was refusing to do what God said, to spread out and go and fill the earth. They'd want, they, they were blatantly disobedient. And so part of it is just saying yes when God speaks to you. Another commandment that we would have gotten was don't eat animals with blood still in them. Don't eat things that are alive. I mean, that seems like kind of common sense to us today because we don't eat things that are alive while they're still living, right? We wouldn't look on that with like a favorable eye. We would think that that's wrong. And it, I, it is wrong according to God's word, okay? And so he would have not been doing that, which means he was following God's instruction. One more that we could um, look to, and, and we'll actually pull it up later, but in Genesis 9, 5, it talks about the penalty or the punishment, the judgment for murder. Murder was something that wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, God had already given instruction that murder's wrong. This was before the Ten Commandments. This was before all the law. God had already given some instructions. And so when it says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, I believe he was talking about the things that had generally been spoken to all mankind at that point in time. And then he was talking about the things that were specific to Abraham's family about going to these places. I mean, about even sacrificing Isaac and Isaac going along with what God had said, even though it meant he was going to crawl up on an altar and get a knife raised above him. I mean, he had been obedient and now he's following the step God had laid out for him. He's going to this next land that God had had uh, led him to. And so when, when we read this, I just I feel like it's important to point out because people will try to get you off into believing things that are out of context. And so because we're, this is an apologetic study and this is the group that likes to go a little bit deeper. Amen. I'm just giving you some of these these applications and tools. He wasn't referring to the law that came, you know, two books later. He was talking about what God had spoken to Abraham and talked to Isaac and to Noah and Adam and Eve about. And so we see this. We have to put it in context. Let's go on and read Genesis 26, uh, verses 34 and 35. Here they are. And this is at the end of the chapter. Um, you know, something that I, I didn't take the time for us to go and um, read about. And I think, I think this is right where it happens. When they go to this new land in Gerar, um, Isaac, he, he has this encounter with King Abimelech, and he does the exact same thing that Abraham did. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here tonight, but you know how we talked about Abraham went to Egypt and he told Pharaoh, the king, that Sarah, my, my wife, is actually my sister. And so, yeah, you know, take her, just don't kill me. He was scared. He took a, a cheap, excusive kind of route away from confrontation because he was afraid of what would happen. Well, the exact same thing happens with Isaac and Rebekah. They go to King Abimelech in the place of Gerar, and Isaac is scared that he's going to get killed because Rebekah's so great and beautiful, and he thinks, well, they're going to kill me to take my wife. So he says, she's just my sister. You know, take her if you need her. Just don't leave me alone, you know, leave me. Don't take me. And so he does the exact same thing that his dad does. Exact same thing that he saw Abraham do. And I told you, I'm not going to stay here very long. But it just is, it is such a, a testament to what kids watching their parents yield as a result. You know, kids watch. Isaac, 
He, he heard the stories about what happened in Egypt. He, he saw, because Abraham actually did it twice. He did it again when they went, um, I think it was when they went down to Bear Laha Roy. Isaac or Abraham did it twice and now we see Isaac repeating the same thing you know um, some people would say well that's you know that's just a, a generational spirit on their family I call it bad training <laughs> just I'm just telling you what I see in the word it looks like bad training to me that's a that's a parent who never gave his son instruction in that thing now I'm not trying to say Abraham was a bad guy Abraham was a faithful man he's uh, regarded as one of the you know heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 but there were some things I don't think he trained Isaac well in, and I think we see it show up here um, in Genesis 26. And I know that's not the scripture I have up on the display right now, but uh, we see the same mistake made. And so let's get on to, let's get on to this here um, with Esau and some of the problems that Esau would, would produce for the family. It says in verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, what a lovely name, Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. These, these were the, the kids that you know, Esau married that made family dynamics tough. And um, you know, there's a couple things we can pull away from this, and I, I don't want to go on and talk about how he, you know, chose a foreigner wife. He was unequally yoked. We could have a whole teaching about that, but that's not really what we're here to talk about tonight. Esau made things bitter for the family because he brought in these foreign women that didn't believe what they believed, didn't worship like they worshipped. They caused problems in the family because now, and it shows too, Esau. He really didn't have a heart to follow in the plan of God, to follow after this great promise that God had. I mean, it just shows again his despise for the word of God and for the promise of God in his life because he doesn't care if it's supposed to be this great nation that's produced. He's like, let me go and hook up with these Hittites. Let me go and get involved, go and get connected to these foreign nations that worship false gods and aren't going the same direction, don't believe the same things that we believe in. I mean, it matters who you're hooked up to. It matters who you're yoked to. It matters who you're partnered with. And so we see it become bitter um, involved in their life with Isaac and Rebekah. And further on, actually, in verse 27, toward the end, um, I'll, we'll read it later, but Rebekah says to Isaac, I'm wary of my life because of the daughters of Heth which is talking about these two women. She says, I am tired of living because of these women that Esau brought home. I mean, it created a real problem. The other thing I want to mention about this particular verse of Scripture is it gives us context for time. It says when Esau was 40 years old. And so we have an age for the guys now, right? The twins are 40 years old when they make this move and when Esau gets married. And so when we go on now to verse tw or chapter 27 and verse 1, where we see Jacob steal the blessing from Esau, we know that they were at least 40 years old at this point in time. All right, so I, I believe this happened. I believe their move and Esau's marriage happened pretty close in time to when um, when he sold Jacob his birthright. And I think those are pretty closely related. And then they get to this land of Gerar. They're living with, you know, there's these two Hittite women and Isaac's this single guy who's, you know, hanging out at the tent with mom. And, and this is life right now, all right? And, and they're just, they're waiting to see what happens next. Well, this is what happens next. We'll go on and read through uh, chapter 27. So it says, when Isaac was old, 
which is subjective because he was already like, uh, I mean, he was already 140 or 120, I mean, or 100. He was at least 100 years old at this point because the boys were 40 and he was 60 when they were born. And so we know Isaac was at least 100. I mean, he lived to 180, but he was, he was already advanced in age. And Okay, so in Genesis 27.1, Isaac was at least 100, maybe older, maybe 140. We don't, we don't know the exact age. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son and said to him my son and he answered here I am he said behold I am old I do not know the day of my death now then take your weapons your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die just to set the picture for you Isaac's not dead yet, but he feels like he's going to die any minute. And so he's like, I need, to, I need to give my last will and testament to the boys. I need to let Esau know that he's my favorite and bless him with all the stuff. And then I'll call Isaac in here and see what I've got left for him. This is his intent. So he says, Esau, give me my last meal. Go and make me proud one more time, son, and then come in here so I can bless you with what I've got. Now, Rebecca was listening. Mom's listening. And her favorite son, Isaac, is, is on the short end of the stick here. It says, when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. She hears this whole conversation. So when Esau fled to the field to hunt for game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. I'm whispering kind of because I think it was probably in a hushed tone at the camp. He said, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare them for delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat. I'm saying this because they're scheming right now. They're hatching this deceptive, manipulative little plan so that they can get what they want. Hushed tones so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. We knew that because he was called hairy. <laughs> and I'm a smooth man. <laughs> That's funny. You know, he's hairy, I'm smooth. She, he's going to know something's wrong. Perhaps my father will feel me, and shall seem to, I shall seem to be mocking him, and he'd bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Isaac knows, or I'm sorry, Jacob knows this is wrong. Do you see that? He knows it's wrong. He, he wasn't thinking, oh, this is the will of God for me to do this thing. And it's important we make that distinction because there's people that would want to tell you it's okay to be deceptive and it's okay to sin as long as it gets you what you think you should have. Yeah. Not the truth. No. Jacob, clear. I think Rebecca, she knew this was wrong. They knew it was wrong. She, even, she doesn't say, oh, he won't curse you. This is okay. This is a good thing. This is, you know, this is all above board. We can do this, no problem. She says, let your curse be on me, my son. You know, if, if there's a curse flying, I'll take it for you. I'll take the heat for you if we get in trouble. Anybody ever heard that one before? I've, had, I've, I've been the friend that says that to someone else. <laughs> Don't worry, man. If we, get, if we get caught, I got you. <laughs> yeah, right. My son, only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. Just do it. We'll make it work. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. His mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved them. Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Made him hairy. And she put the delicious food and the bread. Man, Esau had to be a hairy guy if goat skins are like feeling, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
she puts the food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Liar. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. I'm after that blessing, father. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? See, Isaac, he might, he might be old, he might be blind, but he's not dumb. He's like, how did this happen so fast? He says, because the Lord your God granted me success. Lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau, Harry. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Lie. Then he said, bring it near to me so that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you, this is the blessing, this is the blessing right here. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. We're going to stop there. We'll pick it up again in a minute. I just want to talk about a couple of things we see happen in this this, um, sequence of events. The first thing I wanted to say is, is we talked last week about names for a few minutes. You remember Esau, we said it means hairy, right? And we see he must have been a really hairy guy. Jacob, we talked about how it means supplanter, the person who trips you to get ahead in the race. It means a deceiver, someone who who does what it takes, whether good, bad, ugly, deceptive or not, to get what they want. Rebecca, I was interested to know what what the name Rebecca means, and it means a trapper, a snare, someone who binds. How about that? And so, I just thought it was interesting. Jacob lives up to his name. Esau lives up to his name. And Rebecca lives up to her name in this case. Uh, She really creates a trap for Isaac where he's going to fall into this because he's been deceived into into giving up this blessing. And so I just thought that was interesting. I thought I'd share it with you. Um, We see the scheme of deception come to fruition here. You know, we talk, we could talk, and I think just reading the account gives us the, the picture. I think we all see what happened. You know, Rebecca sees that her favorite son, which was the son that God had said was going to be over his brother, the younger or the older shall serve the younger. And so um, there, was, there was good reason why she was wanting Jacob to be the one who was blessed. But the way they went about it to scheme, to, you know, hatch a plan and hush tones in the other tent so that dad doesn't know what's going on i mean that that's not a godly way to get god's plan done and that's kind of the point tonight there is the 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 end does not justify the means which is a, a word we'll talk about here in a minute before we do that i did want to mention this because i just like to set the whole picture and and bring up everybody's issues in this because it wasn't just jacob and rebecca who had uh, an issue with sin here 
deceiving Isaac and you know stealing this blessing although I don't know how much it could be stolen if it was something Esau had regarded so cheaply from the beginning but Isaac was rebellious too and I mentioned that last week but I just want to cover it here again Isaac was rebellious because he knew what God's word said he had he had heard from God that the older would serve the younger and yet here he is about to give this blessing you know all your mother's sons shall serve you to his oldest son that's directly contrary to the word of God. So Isaac was being rebellious based on his own fleshly preference. I mean, his reason for liking Esau, it wasn't because he brought the nicest girls home. It wasn't because God had given him a word of, of you know, anointment or choosing or you know, calling out that this is who the lineage needs to go through. It was just because he brought him good food. And so... Isaac was being rebellious, whereas Jacob and Rebekah were being deceptive, and Esau was, was just being careless. Isaac was being rebellious. And I thought it was interesting. We know he's at least 100 years old now. So he's been walking in the blessing of God for at least 100 years, and here he is determined to give the blessing to the one that he preferred rather than to the one that God chose. Yeah. And so I just I wanted to bring up the point. Isaac wasn't totally, you know, sinless in this whole deal either. I mentioned this statement a minute ago, the end justifies the means. You know, what how valid is that statement? Is that true? Have you ever heard it before? Has anybody ever tried to use that as an excuse to do something that wasn't right? The well, the ends justify the means. You know, I thought about this example. It's like, you know, yeah, well, you caught me stealing, but I want to give the food to hungry people. So it's okay, right? No, it's not. It's not right. I mean, and honestly, that kind of makes me think about Robin Hood, which is a glorified character, but he's still a thief. He's still a stealer. He's still killing all the authorities and guards because he wants to do what he wants because he thinks it's right. Well, it's not right. It's not right. Even if the ends, you know, are good, the way you get to the end matters. And we've said that in this curriculum before, too. Like, it's not just about where you go it's also about how you get there it matters how we do things you know i I, it makes me think too about preaching a couple weeks ago about patience and longevity you know i may get to the end but how do i get there can i be patient with a good temper do i get mad at everything i mean it matters how we get to the end and so the means the means is not necessarily justified by the end i want to give you a couple scriptures Um, To back this up, if you pull your scripture sheet out, they are on here. We're going to go to Romans and read a couple of verses out of Romans tonight. And I will have them up on the screen, a couple of them up on the screen too. Romans 3, verse 8, verse 8, Romans 3, verse 8. This is discussing, I'm giving you the context around this verse. Paul's writing to the Roman church and he's talking about the error of people purposefully sinning because our sinfulness highlights God's righteousness. This is like the idea that is being discussed here. So this, what's happening is there are people who are saying, well, it's okay for us to keep on sinning because when we sin, people see that there's a difference between sin and righteousness. There's a difference between us doing these bad things and God being a good God and, and a perfect God and a holy God. So, you know, our sin is really a good thing because it highlights the difference. And this is what Paul writes. He says, 
And why, why not? You know, this is the, the rhetorical question. Why not do evil things that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. And so this whole idea, it, it, well, what Paul's saying here is that that's an idea worth being condemned. It's a wrong idea. It is a, it is a evil idea that we should just keep on sinning because good might come out of it. Someone might see that we're bad and God's good. You know, sinful, wicked hearts of man that haven't been redeemed yet are a bad thing and God's, God's perfect and holy and good. So we should just keep sinning so people can see that. No, that is, that is such a wicked, slanderous idea. And I think it's emphasized again as we read in Romans 6, um, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is talking about really abusing the grace of God. Saying, well, I've got grace, so I, sh- I can just keep sinning all that I want to sin. I can do all the bad things that I want to do because at the end of the day, God will forgive me and I can get my, my ticket punched to heaven and we're good to go. You know, I, it's an abuse of God's gift of grace to say, well, it just doesn't, sin doesn't matter. I can sin every, all I want to. And, you know, I've preached before and I, I believe, I, well, I guess I shouldn't quote you if I'm not 100% sure if you said it, but I think I heard you say one time, I can sin all I want to. I just don't want to sin anymore. That's really what God's grace does. It changes you from a heart that wants to do evil things and wicked things and lie and do all the stuff that we're talking about, Jacob and Rebekah and Isaac and Esau doing. It changes your heart. Isn't that what it says in verse 2 here? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I'm dead to sin because Jesus is dead to sin. And if I'm in him and with him, then I'm no longer a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I don't want to sin anymore. So this idea of let's just, let's just do wrong because maybe at the end of it something good will happen, it's so backwards, it's so wicked, it's so, such a lie and such a deception from the enemy. I want to read one more scripture out of Romans, Romans 6.6. 6. This is talking about what verse 2 says there. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's talking about our old man. And I'm not talking about anybody's dad. Our old man is the person that I was before Christ. We talk about being born again, the new birth. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's my new person. And the old person's dead. Buried. When I, when I got baptized, and I'm not talking about when I got dunked in a tank. That was an outward expression of what happened on the inside. But when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I said, I, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory. And Jesus, I know that. And I, I want to be changed. I want to be a new person. I want a new life. I want the life that you have. That old person goes away. Like it says in verse 6-6 six, six here, the body of sin was done away with. Done away with crucified with him you know when jesus was crucified he died and so if my old man is crucified with christ that old man's dead done away with put in a grave and when when jesus rose he rose in glory and so when i rise again to new life i'm not rising with the same old dead man who is full of of sin and problems and lack and hurt i'm rising to life just like jesus did and so we see this, this distinction, that the ends in justifying the means, that is, it is a lie, it is a deception. The truth is that God is able to do things the righteous way and still get to the good end. Amen. 
God's able to do things the right way and still get to the good end. Just present it this way as, as just basically and, and as a simple statement as I can. Is sin that is meant for a good purpose still sin? Yes. Sin is sin. So let it be known that that is Abundant Life Ministries' official position. Sin is sin. Yep. Period. I don't, I don't, if, if you meant it to be for a good reason, it's still sin. A lie is still a lie. You know, deceive, manipulation is still manipulation, even if it's to make a good thing happen. Sin is still sin. Praise God, we've been redeemed from sin. We've been forgiven of sin. Amen? I want to give you an Ed, a Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole quote tonight. I like throwing those in from time to time. As we're talking about sin, something we're going to see as one of our next um, things we can draw from this, this time in history when Jacob deceived his father. This quote is, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you wanted to pay. Amen. Sin's always going to, to leave you worse off than what you thought it would. Yep. It's, never, it's never going to end well like you would prefer for it to. And we're going to talk in a minute about Esau when he finally tasted the consequence of sin. But I see this, you know, when we were reading through what Jacob did, I don't know if you noticed, but he lied multiple times after choosing to take actions of deception toward his father. And, and what I see in it is that the deceptive plan leads to a lie, which leads to another lie and then another lie. And that's kind of the way that, well, it is the way that sin goes. You know, I've, I've been there before where I think, oh, it'll just be this one time. And then we'll be fine. I'm never going to do that again. I'll never say that. I'll never lie about that again. But, you know, lies especially, it's just something we can see. Have you ever heard that, like, a web of lies, one just builds upon another and you get lost in your lies? I mean, I've, I've seen the movies about the con artist who gets lost in his web of lies and then he has to find who he is again or, you know, that kind of thing. Lying, I mean, it, it doesn't stop. Ergo the quote going to take you further than you want to go it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay you're going to have to you're going to have to sin more than you intended to sin to keep the house of cards up you're, you're going to have to stay in the sin longer than you wanted to sin or else somebody might find out so i just got to cover it up and i just got to you know it makes me think about a testimony we heard recently of of a gentleman who had had a gambling addiction and praise god he's delivered from it today but in the time where he was lost in that i mean it just kept snowballing bigger and more and further and harder to get out from it and builds up this house of cards, staying in it longer than I meant to. I've given more to it than I meant to. And at the end of the day, it all comes crashing down. You've, and eventually, like we'll read it here in a minute and see with Esau, eventually you taste the disappointment and the hurt of sin. So I want to drive this point home tonight of, of the ends are justified by the means. They're not. It's a lie. Sin does, a good outcome does not justify sin to get there. And here's how I wrote it down. God does not need me to sin in order to help him make it work. God does not need me to sin in order to help make it work. Now, I do believe that we need to be obedient to the word and we need to cooperate with him. When he gives us instruction that's going to lead us to life, I'm going to take the step because that's going to lead me on the path to life. And so I'm not saying... Look, God does not need our help, but he gives us the opportunity to come into partnership with him. Yeah. And that's a great thing. All right. He doesn't force us into it. God could make you do whatever, but he doesn't. No. All right. And so when I say God doesn't 
need my sin to help him make it work. I'm talking about God doesn't need me to be disobedient and do something wrong so that the situation will work out. And I'll say this about our, our lesson tonight. I believe there was another way for Jacob to be put in the position of being over his brother. You know, I've read this before and it's like, oh, well, you know, he, he did this bad thing, but it all worked out good. So that must have been what God meant. Absolutely not. No, God's plan was, I'll tell you straight up, God's plan was not for Rebecca and Jacob to fool Isaac into giving away this blessing. There are other ways it could have happened. I know there are. I know with God, all things are possible. I know God is able and mighty and strong. I know that he can make this work like he said it would. I just, I wrote down in my notes three ways just to give you some ideas like, because sometimes when I read, you know, I'm not thinking about, well, if they hadn't done that, what would have happened? But I thought about that with this. Here's three other ways that, that Jacob could have been the one blessed instead of Esau without sin um, on the part of Jacob and Rebekah. Isaac could have had a change of heart at the last minute. You know, he could have realized when he's about to bless Esau that this is the wrong thing for me to do. Now, he, he didn't do it when he was fooled. He didn't do it when he was deceived. But I believe God could have confronted him in a moment and turned his heart to do the right thing. I believe that. Do you believe that? Yeah. You know, it makes me think about another thing. When, when John was being, John the Baptist was being born, his father didn't think that it was going to happen. And he, he was turned mute for a period of time. You know, uh, Isaac could have gone mute until he changed his heart and decided to give Jacob the blessing. And Isaac, or Jacob and Rebekah wouldn't have been in sin, so there's another way for you. You know, Rebekah, she goes through all this work to come up with this deceptive, manipulative plan. She could have just gone and talked to her husband. That would, and I don't know how that would have gone. I wasn't there. I wasn't her. I wasn't him. But here's another option. She, she could have gone and talked with her husband about this word but she didn't do that she decided to go behind the back and try to make finagle it that's the word my dad used to use finagle it to make it happen and uh i think this you know another way it could have gone esau could have just fallen out of favor maybe he shows up and spills the stew on his dad's lap and dad doesn't want to bless him anymore. i don't know there's a lot of ways it could have happened you know it, i'm just telling you they did not have to sin they should have trusted god they should have had faith that the word of God would come to pass because it always does, doesn't it? It always does. I want, I want to read just to, to reinforce this idea. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him, God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Is he able to do all that he said he would do? Yeah. Absolutely he is. So we don't, God doesn't need our sin to help him make it work. Right. God is able. And then I'm, I'm not going to go there for time's sake tonight, but I just I thought I'd include uh, John 8, 44 uh, to answer the question, where do lies and where do where does confusion come from? And it comes from the devil. And so if you're ever wondering about who a plan is coming from, if it involves deceit and lying and all of this sin, it's not from God. It's not God's plan. Amen. Let's go on tonight. We, we got to get moving. We're running out of time quick, but this is good, isn't it? Genesis 27, verses 30 on through 46. 16 verses. Can we do it? I think we can. Let's talk about um, when, when the sin is discovered, when wrongdoing is discovered here. Genesis 27, verse 30. It says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, he finally gets this blessing off. He tells 
Jacob, you know, you're going you're gonna to get the fat of the land. You're going to get the grain. You're going to get the wine. You're going to be the victor. You're going to be an overcomer over your brother. You're going you're gonna to conquer nations. Blessed is he who blesses you, cursed is he who curses you. Gets done saying this, and, and the, you know, the scene would be like, at a, imagine you're at a play. Jacob's walking off the stage this way, and here comes Esau on the other side of the I mean, it seems like it's immediate. As soon as the blessing was finished, and Jacob was, was just barely out of the tent. I mean, Esau might have even seen him leaving. Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And he prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. He was after that blessing. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. He's shaking visibly. He's shaking because he realizes what's just happened. And he says, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I've blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. I mean, he's begging his father. Give me something. Tell me you didn't give it all away. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Did you keep nothing back for me? Which, I mean, Esau's just tasting the, the, really the rebellion of his father toward Jacob, and, and the fate, the, the issue with favoritism is that Isaac left nothing for the less favored son. And so Esau's tasting this now. He's tasting their consequence of sin. Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I've made him Lord over you. Ouch. All his brothers I have given to him for servants. So he's, he's over you. He's got the authority. The brothers are going to have to serve him. And with grain and wine I've sustained him. So he says, I gave him the power. I gave him all the good stuff we've got. What can I do for you, my son? Esau says for his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, this is a terrible blessing, just so everybody knows. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. So you're not going to be in the place of abundance. You're not going to be in the place where it's easy to grow the crops and the wine is flowing and the times are good. I mean, you're going to be in the dry, desert, arid place that it's hard to get anything to produce. That's what he's saying. I mean, that's not much of a blessing if you ask me. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. So you're going to have to fight for your life and you're going to still end up serving your brother anyway. But when you grow restless, you shall finally break free his yoke from your neck. You'll finally get out of there and you can go and have your desert all to yourself. Now when Esau, now Esau hated Jacob. And this is the result of sin. Esau hates Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. He's thinking he's going to die any day and then I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau... Her older son were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. So obey me and get away. Flee to my Laban, my brother in Haran. 
and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? We're going to talk about why that is in a minute. There, Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, um, one of the women of this land, what good will my life be to me? And so uh, other than just trying to get Jacob out of, out of the land so that he doesn't die at his brother's hand, she's also wanting to ensure that he doesn't end up with one of these terrible women that um, Esau had brought home. So here's what we see in the second half of Genesis 27. We see that, number one, sin and wrongdoing are eventually discovered. Sin and wrongdoing are eventually discovered. And if we uh, open up our, or turn to our scripture sheet, I want to look at Luke 8.17 quick tonight. Luke 8.17, it says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Now, it might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. It might not even happen, happen next week. But there will come a time when all the things that are done in secret, all the things that were done in deception, in manipulation, in darkness, in sin, they're going to be revealed. All right? And so, praise God, we've been redeemed of sin. We've been forgiven of sin because now that's not on my record anymore. Isn't that good news? Well, Esau didn't have that. And so what he's tasting today, in this time is what happened back when he sold his birthright. And he's also, Jacob too is experiencing this because um, what he did in secret in the cover of these goat skins and his brother's clothes in his dad's tent when his dad couldn't really see him, the deception that he gave, well, now he's feeling the effects of it as he has to flee his parents and the land that he knows to go over to Laban in Haran so that he doesn't die from his brother um, you know, making himself feel better by killing him. So eventually, sin, wrongdoing is going to be discovered. And, you know, when, when it is, there's always a price to pay. Sin comes with a price. Sin comes with, you know, a wage. We could talk about Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We know there's a wage attached to it. You know, in this case, we see the consequences of the sin. The sin, just to, and these aren't, this is not a comprehensive list of sins. I'm not trying to give you that tonight. But just a few that we see here. Lying, deceiving, sneaking. You know, my mom taught me sneaking is a sin. She, she told me if you've got to be sneaky about it, then it's probably something you shouldn't be doing. So lying, deceiving, sneaking, and then manipulating. These are four things that we see really clearly here, here Jacob and Rebecca are doing. And the consequences of those sin, I wrote these three down. Hatred. I mean, we see that Esau hates his brother now. You know, that wasn't, I don't believe that was God's best for the plan. I mean, maybe Esau should have been mad at himself because he messed it up and lost it, but he wasn't. He, he was mad at his brother because his brother sinned against him. And so we see this hatred. We see division because now Jacob has to run off and flee to Haran so that he doesn't die at the hands of Esau. And we see jealousy. Of course, Esau is jealous at the blessing that his brother has. And so sin is always going to produce death it's always going to produce separation it's always going to produce things that are not god's best plan so we see jacob tasting the consequences of the sin we also see um, esau in the same way you know tasting the consequence of how he had despised and regarded cheaply the birthright you know he didn't care about losing the birthright until it was time to inherit the birthright he didn't care about losing the blessing until he realized there's nothing left for me to get and so his, his despising of these things, which was sinful on his part, 
um, eventually that catches up to him. There are two scriptures I, I put on your sheet, and I'm not going to take the time to go through them because we've only got a couple minutes left tonight, and I want to at least finish this section. Um, but, you know, there in Hebrews 11.25, it, it talks about how there is... is uh, season of pleasure with sin there is a time where sin might be pleasurable and enjoyable and fun but eventually that season ends and when that season ends we see um, the progression that's listed in james 1 15 it talks about and i'm just going to read it it says when desires conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death another way to say it is when it's fully mature it brings forth death you know you i have lived in areas of sin for a time and it hasn't been fully matured or fully grown and so i haven't experienced the end result of it you know i haven't walked that road all the way to the end but at the end of the road is death it's separation it's these things we talked about a minute ago and so you know the the reason sin might seem fun for a season is i'm not feeling the effects i'm not feeling the death you know it's it's like eating something that's bad for you that might taste good. And I'm not just talking about like an unhealthy food. I'm talking about something that will make you sick, okay? If you have ever eaten something that makes you sick, if you've ever known of a place, there was, there was a place that made a certain kind of food when I lived in Tulsa, and it tasted so good, but you always felt like a train hit you the next day. And yet we would go back and eat because there was a time where it was really enjoyable to be eating there. I mean, when the food's going in, it's great. It's just later that it's a big problem, and sin's kind of that way too. It, it feels great at first, but if you don't get that out of you in a hurry, there's going to come a time where it doesn't feel so good. In fact, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be separating. It's going to be these things we talked about, the consequences, division, hatred, jealousy, separation, fear, anxiety, shame. That's all going to be the end result of sin. So praise God, we can confess our sin, and He's faithful and just to forgive us. We don't have to keep it in. We can, we, can, we can put it on Christ. We can crucify that sin on the cross with Christ. And so we see this progression. They get to the end. They taste the sin. It's, it's not good. And next week we're going to pick up and talk about Jacob going to Haran and, and um, his time with Laban and, and how that all went for him. You know, we see that at the end, um, Jacob does end up, the younger or the older does end up serving the younger as God said, but I don't believe this was the best way um, for it to get there. And I mentioned uh, how Rebecca, she had said, uh, you know, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be rift of you both in one day? She's saying, why should I as a mother lose both of my sons in one day? Why would that be? Well, we talked about earlier how God had already given the command that man should not murder. And in uh, Genesis 9-5, it's in your notes so you can check it out later, talks about how um, when someone kills, there is a penalty for that, which is that the killer, the murderer, has to be put to death. And so if Esau had killed Jacob, Esau is dying as a result. And so I think that's interesting. Esau was so mad, he was willing to give his own life. He was willing to die because of the you know, full fruition and the, the hurt of the sin. And so the other consequence we see, and I'm going to end with, um, we're going to go to John, 1 John 4, 18. I'll read that as we wrap up tonight. Uh, By the deceitful actions of Jacob, both uh, he both received the blessing and was lost from the family as he fled to Laban to accept, escape the wrath of Esau. And so the other consequence of sin, I mentioned some of those other ones, hatred, jealousy, division. The last one I want to mention tonight is the fear, the hiding, the 
anxiousness. The, the, I don't know that he felt shame, but in some cases, shame like Adam and Eve, they felt shame about it. In 1 John 4, 18, we get some good news. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Listen, if you've been made perfect in the love of Christ, then, then you don't have fear of the consequence of sin because you've been redeemed of it. You're, you're not guilty of that sin now because Christ was considered guilty and paid the price that you deserved. So now you're forgiven. The, the debt's been paid. That's what that means. I don't have the consequence to pay up for anymore. I'm freed of it in Jesus' name. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin. So as long as we're guilty, like Jacob here, he's guilty, so he's got to run away. He's afraid of what his brother's going to do. He's anxious about what's going to happen, so he's got to run. As long as I'm guilty, I'm going to be running. I'm going to be scared. I'm going to be anxious. But when I'm forgiven, I'm free. When I'm forgiven, I'm free of all of that weight, all of that condemnation. And I'll just wrap up with a story and then we'll pray. I'm already a couple minutes over, but I just like the way that this story applies and I'll tell it quick. You know, I've got a little dog and his name's Titus. And uh, every day when I go to work, he uh, does everything he can to pull every piece of uh, dishware and garbage and food off my counter and onto the floor and then eat it. And pretty much every time I come in, I can tell if he was good or not, because if he was not good, he runs out the door and then looks at me from the other side of the deck. And then when I look inside, he runs off into the yard because he knows I'm going to yell at him. So he's... I wouldn't say he's afraid, but he knows that he's guilty. And he knows that I'm upset about the guilt. I know he knows I'm upset about what he did. And so he wants to get away. He wants to flee. It's the same way with us. And I'm not trying to compare anybody to Titus tonight. But when I do wrong, and, and I haven't been freed of the bondage and the weight of the sin, I'm living that same way. I'm running. I'm, I'm maybe I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm shameful about it. I mean, he, he'll put his head down like, oh, I know it was bad, but... Forgive me. And I don't want to live like that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live like that. And Jesus has made a way where we don't have to live like that. And that's the good news that we can celebrate tonight. So let's pray on that note. And let's just thank God that we've been forgiven in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your son who came and died and paid the price. Took our guilt upon himself and, and crucified that old man on the cross. It's no longer who we are, Lord. We've been born again. Everyone who has confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've been born again, born anew. And I thank you that in that, Lord, we have a newness of life. We have been redeemed from sin. The price paid, no longer guilty, no longer shameful, no longer afraid. Like your word says, perfect love casts out fear. And we know we have been made perfect in the love of our Savior. And so... Lord, tonight we pray two things. Number one, I just thank you for forgiveness. And if there's anybody in here tonight who, who is struggling with some element of sin, if you've been running or feeling fearful or shameful about something, then I just want to invite you tonight, just give it, to, give it to Him. Give it to Christ. Put it on the cross. And thank Him that He bore those sins for us. That He paid the price for us. I'm just going to pray this. And if there's something that you've been holding on to that you know you need forgiven and you just haven't released that yet. I want you to do that with me tonight. And I'm just going to pray this. Jesus, I release that thing to you. Whatever it is, Lord, I, I just release it tonight. And I thank you that I've been forgiven of it. I, I put that in with that old man who was crucified. I recognize tonight that when I was born again, the old man died on the cross. And with that old person, the old sin, the old way, the flesh was put on the cross and crucified, Lord. The, the payment 
that was required for my sin paid in full. Righteousness is what belongs to me and the new man that I am in Christ. And it's because I'm in Christ and because Christ is righteous, I recognize that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I'm right before you. And so, Lord, I believe that and I receive it tonight. I thank you for forgiveness in Jesus name. Lord, I pray this too tonight that as we have heard this and, and looked at this story, I thank you that we understand some of these truths we've covered, that the, the idea of the end justifying the means is a deception and is false, that you are able to make your plan come to pass without sinful help of us. Lord, we just want to cooperate with your plan and with your righteous good steps that you would order before us. Lord, we trust you and we have faith in your ability. And I pray, I pray too tonight that even just looking at this story of, of Jacob and Rebecca and Esau and Isaac, I pray that we see um, how forgiveness is necessary, that how the consequence of sin, it does catch up. And even if it feels fun for a season, we know that the end is not good. And I pray that you would with this truth, having equipped us with it, Lord, send us out to just bring a message of hope, bring a message of life, bring a message of forgiveness, bring a message of redemption like we've heard tonight to people in the world who are living in fear or living in angst or living in shame or who are on the run from the consequences of sin, Lord. Let them find that, that forgiveness and that redemption, that perfecting love that casts out fear. I pray that they would find that in Christ as we just share the good news, the gospel, and the message of Christ taking the penalty for us. I pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for sticking around for a few extra minutes tonight. I hope you're blessed. We love you guys. We'll see you Sunday for Easter. Come early for the breakfast. And sign up to do video announcements if you can put a couple sentences together. Have a wonderful night.